just like the Astros against the Royals, I got nothing. It's episode 42 of Still Cold Shows, and it starts right now. Welcome to the Stone Gold Shows. I'm Brandon Strange, joined by Charlie Palillo and Josh Jordan. Follow them on X at Palillo and at Josh Jordan 975. And just a reminder that the three of us have launched a new Texans podcast called Texans on Tap. You can find that on our new YouTube channel, Sports Map Texans. You can find that channel on YouTube by searching at Sports Map Texans, all one word. And you can find the podcast at your favorite podcast provider by searching at or excuse me searching texans on tap that is t-a-p like a beer tap charlie before we get into the nitty-gritty of it it's episode 42 which means we're going to shout out a player who wore 42 and i don't want to steal your thunder here but could it be lima time oh it's it's lima time uh, there are a couple of dozen choices but there's only one choice and this is for, in perpetuity with major league baseball a few years ago retiring number 42 in honor of jackie robinson it's jose lima and for those who go back that far as as astros fans uh he was the party uh a two-year flash in the pan if that's possible won 16 games one season came back and won 21 the next year and then enron field wrecked Jose Lima's Astros career. But the fan-friendliest athlete I have ever seen, I don't know if at some point to his detriment because there was never an autograph he would not sign, a picture for which he would not pose, a meal he would not share. He would literally go into the stand as a starting pitcher. Okay, you're only throwing every five days in a game. I I don't care. He would literally go up into the stands, take a seat, and just hold court with people. He was an absolute blast. And, you know, they probably should at least send us a gift card for this or something, but Casa Ole. Hey. Today, uh, there was only one Jose Lima. Uh, rest in peace. Rest in peace, Jose Lima. Guys, we say it all the time. Uh, anything can happen in baseball, but I don't think even we could have foreseen the gigantic egg laying that has occurred at Minute Maid uh, at the hands of the Royals. Charlie, uh, you said it before that the other guys are on scholarship too, meaning that those guys are pros. Granted, they are pros, but they, in the case of the Royals, pros who have lost 102 games, the Astros are the defending champs. You know, granted, it is defending champs who have lost three-fifths of their rotation to injury and are leaning hard on two rookie starters who appear to be out of gas. Before we get into the how do they salvage this, How do you explain what's happening right now on a failure that is so comprehensive? Is there anybody in particular to blame? I came prepared. (laughs) Knives sharpened. Look, this is an epic collapse. There is time to uncollapse. And as the incorrigible homer that I am, I will shine that light shortly. But you said focus on how is this happening? Part of it is, yup, baseball, the gap between the best and the worst is much narrower in terms of winning and losing percentage of times that it happens than it is in the NFL, than it is in the NBA. Now, the Royals are the worst with the A's. The Astros are not close to the best. Right? The Astros are merely a pretty good team, which is not awful. Uh, I choose to still go with the word collapse as opposed to choke, although losing three straight at home to the Royals, I grant that is certainly appearing more choky 
but I don't think they were choking last week or a week and a half ago and coming off of glorious series of sweeping the Red Sox. Did they then choke against the Yankees? No, they then just sucked against the Yankees. And in losing seven of nine to the Royals and A's, they have sucked. And it has been a a team-wide abomination. The starting pitching ERA since the All-Star break now is basically five. That's lousy. Hunter Brown, I guess, at the epicenter of that. Well, he's a 25-year-old rookie who's been asked to do too much. Uh, The bullpen, by and large, has held up. But during this collapse, Ryan Presley giving one up horribly to the Orioles. Justin Verlander has been very average since rejoining the Astros, making the start Monday night that much more pivotal. A 3.93 ERA in nine starts. He's been good in five and four. He's been bad in three and okay in two. 3.93 3.93 earned run average. Fromber seemingly back on the beam and then implodes in his most recent start. Um, it's become a team whack-a-mole. You may think you have a, a grip on one problem and then something else pops up. Then there's the lineup, right? Into the Seattle series, three and nine, 12 games. Alex Bregman, one for his last 23. Well, before that, four for his last 18. So that's five for 41. A 122 batting average. In this 12-game stretch, what's Alex Bregman's most notable play? Throwing away a double-play ground ball, helping lose one of those games in Kansas City. Jeremy Pena over these 12 games, batting 256 or so, 261, I think. No power whatsoever. Rarely walking. OPS 621. That blows over these 12 games. Kyle Tucker, overall, a wonderful season. These 12 games, 171 batting average. September, Kyle Tucker, 208 batting average. Start of the Seattle series. Jose Abreu's Jose Abreu. You're going to have pockets of production because over 162 (laughs) games, especially when you're playing way too much, you're going to have those sore thumbs that stick out in a positive way. But overall, Jose Abreu, terrible. Over these 12 games, 195 batting average. Uh, Jose Altuve, by and large, has still been good. 300 batting average, 824 OPS over these 12 games. That's still down more than 100 points from what his OPS was before these 12 games. It has been a damn near across-the-board meltdown. Chaz McCormick has started 11 of these 12 games. 220 batting average, 679 OPS. Uh, Up and down the lineup, up and down the rotation, much more selectively in the bullpen. But those old, old brokerage ads, why are the Astros where they found themselves going into Seattle? The old-fashioned way. They earned it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with Charlie. It's You can spread the blame around. If we're just looking at the Royal Series, I'm putting it on the starting pitching. I mean, you just, between Fromber and Hunter Brown, I mean, the game was over in the blink of an eye, especially with the way the offense has been hitting it. You really had no chance in those two games. And then in the J.P. France-Jordan Lyles game, I mean, you you couldn't get anything off Jordan Lyles. I pulled this up. There was only one start for the entire season where he gave up zero earned runs. It was against the Tigers, but he did that against the Astros. Then against J.P. France, you can't score a run until the seventh inning or with J.P. France on the mound for you. You can't get a run until the seventh inning. So that's why that went poorly. If we look at – let's look at the stats here. Last seven days, now they're down to eighth in OPS. They were much better last week. ERA for the season, now they're tenth. ERA in the last seven days, 21st. That ain't going to get it done. And you got to put a lot of this on the starting pitching recently. 
because I think it was Steve Sparks that had a 13 and two-thirds innings pitched out of the bullpen over this series. They didn't give up any runs, only one hit. So in this you know particular series, it was your starting pitching. You just couldn't get out the gates with Hunter Brown and Fromberg just putting you so far down in such a hole. You guys may have some sense that I can be a little stat geeky once in a while, but digest this one. I actually triple checked it to make sure because can this really be right? It's right. They should, they, they deserve, except the games are too important. They deserve to have to go to Seattle by Greyhound, Ram track or something. Uh, but as they flew to Seattle, I don't know if anyone called to their attention that the Astros had lost their last four games when they scored five or more runs. There are four consecutive games where the offense, at least by the end of the game, had put up numbers where you expect to win. You score five runs, you're supposed to win. Four in a row, the Astros heading to Seattle, losing when scoring at least five. The entire 2022 season, they lost four games when they scored five runs or more. Here they did it in a week and a half, playing largely scrub competition, save the three games against the Orioles. Uh, the Astros did score five in game one of the World Series and blew that one, Verlander. Uh, but that worked out okay. Now, as we pivot or continue, let me play not really Homer, realist. Now, the Astros head to Seattle 8-13 and 13 in September. The Mariners are 8-14 and 14 in September. And getting swept by the Rangers is not the ignominy that getting swept at home by the Royals to finish 39-42 and 42 at Minute Maid Park is. Nevertheless, the standings are the standings. That the Astros can beat the Mariners two out of three in Seattle is not some sort of preposterous suggestion. If they pull it off, right? The only real or the first real, real must win for the Astros is the game after they lose one in Seattle. Because if they lose this series, then they're probably done. Uh, but if they win two out of three in Seattle, they then go to Arizona. The Diamondbacks can have a National League wild card wrapped up by Friday or Saturday and not pitch one or two of their best pitchers. Zach Gallen will probably go Friday, Merrill Kelly Saturday, pending. But the Astros could catch a huge break there if the Diamondbacks are champagne-soaked and celebrating being a wild card and planning to start their wild card series on Tuesday. If the Astros, and it seems Herculean off the garbage we've been watching in the last couple of weeks, but two out of three in Seattle would not be a miracle. Two out of three in Arizona would not be a miracle. If the Astros do that, the Mariners have to sweep four from the Rangers this weekend. The Astros are in. So, okay, if the Astros win two out of three in Seattle and go one and two in Arizona, well, Seattle still has to beat Texas three out of four this weekend, or the Astros are in. And I'm leaving aside the idea that Toronto could collapse. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so, you know, coming off this stretch of game, two and seven against the freaking Royals and A's. But worms do turn. Right, things can stop on a dime and go the other direction. It's not what you want to be your rallying cry right now for the Astros, but it's where they are this last week. It's still possible, and I will mention that the Philadelphia Phillies last regular season went something like 7-12 and 12 to end the regular season, wound up in the World Series. Getting in the tournament gives you a chance to go very deeply into, if not win, the whole damn tournament. Let's talk about the way they stack up their starting pitching to end the season. Because there's there's a possibility that the very last game of the season could be very meaningful for them. They may go to Frober Valdez on three days rest. How do you guys feel considering Frober's up and down season? Is that a good idea? And also, how does this impact a staff that really hasn't been sharp for the entire season? 
I mean, for me, I the first thing I got to do, I can't let Hunter Brown start another game. It's, you know, I think he's going to be an important piece of what you do moving forward. But just get get this right here. Hunter Brown has given up six or more earned runs in three of his last five games. He's given up six or more earned runs of four of his last seven. So, I mean, you, you can't go in there giving up six runs in a got-to-have-it game. You, you, I just don't see how you trust Hunter Brown right now. So I think after the big three go against the Mariners, I, I think Friday, because the off day on Thursday, I think it's J.P. France. And then what they do Saturday and Sunday, I'm really curious to see how they're going to approach that if they want to pitch these guys on short rest. Well, Verlander would have four days rest for the Saturday game. And then if it's all riding on Sunday, then it's essentially all hands on deck like a playoff game. Uh, do you start Javier and basically have Fromber warming up in the bullpen from first pitch? Do you start Fromber thinking he's my best available pitcher to start and let's see how long he can go or what he has on, on three days rest? And then you do have a bullpen, which overall has still been solid. You can almost treat that like a bullpen game and be thinking I'm going to my four or five guys who I hope can get the job done as, as early as the third inning as opposed to hoping to get to the fifth or, or sixth inning uh, with the starter. Um, if that's how it rides, then your, your rotation's in tatters going into the wild card best out of three, which would be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You'd have no one good available on, on rest until uh, game two, kind of, sort of, uh, from Friday night, three days rest. But more realistically, your Friday starter would not have until Wednesday, and that would be J.P. France. Um, it would be a mess. But you just hope that whoever you're uh, up against just has a couple of days where they don't hit well or – the Astros have a couple of days where they do hit well, right? They're Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde offense. Uh, the whole point is to get there. And, you know, all those who uh, laughed and kicked dirt on the Texas Rangers after the Astros mutilated them up there, right? the Rangers were left for dead. Well, they rose uh, after they uh, got swept in Cleveland. Uh, after winning four in Toronto, the Rangers looked dead again there. They rose. So if you're an Astros fan thinking, ah, it's over, it's understandable, but it's also wrong. I mean, they can have a whole battalion of fat ladies warming up, but until they're actually on stage singing, right? Yogi, it's not over until it's over. Not Yogi, even if it looks like it's over. But I do want to talk about what's been made about this home-filled disadvantage. The batter's eye getting repainted. We were there Wednesday to see that in person, which by the way was the only game they won in that home series. So maybe we should go to more of them. But there's been a lot made about that, especially if they go to Seattle and just dominate in Seattle. Will the Astros have an advantage by not having home field advantage? Well, I guess the way this season is played, uh, I think the batter's eye stuff was nonsense. Last year, they were 55 and 26 at home, and the offensive numbers were significantly better at home. It's not like Tal's Hill came out last year and the batter's eye changed last year. Um, it's hokum. It's excuse making. Frankly, it's mental weakness. And if that truly is a factor, then I will throw in that that is choky that you're saying, ah, not enough green out there. Um, you know, the, the Astros have looked more blue than green as in, you know, a decomposing corpse, but they can still sit up in that coffin and what the hell has Seattle done the last three weeks that makes you say the Astros can't possibly win two out of three there, even though the Mariners have just destroyed the Astros eight out of ten before this series started? 
Yeah, I mean, we can we can talk about the batter's eye and and putting and you know batting lineups and stuff like that. They're, they're just not playing good baseball right now. They, they, they got to get going here. They, they like their backs against the wall. Well, here we go. You better go win some games against Seattle, or, or you're not going to be in there. And I mean, you're hearing people calling in talking about crazy stuff just based on what's been going on recently. But Astros fans, Astros players, they are not used to this. This is very different. I think part of it is health and underperformance. And, I mean, just look at the ERAs on the team compared to last year. Much higher. We look at Verlander and Fromber, even the best guys. So they're just not playing as well. And let's face it, the other teams have gotten better. And that's going to be a new reality that's not going away anytime soon. Guys, let's get a little more granular into one area in particular, pitching. Uh, From week to week, on this podcast, we've tracked the Team ERA. They are currently 10th in Team ERA for the season, but 21st over the past seven days. Hunter Brown, who I believe has a lot of tools to be a big leaguer, he just looks like he has nothing left in the tank. He's a guy who's kind of always struggled with his location, and he certainly is now. We've kind of debated where he would be in a starting rotation in the playoffs. Do we see him start another game this season or even get the ball? Oh, if they wind up in the playoffs, there's no reason for Hunter Brown to be on the playoff roster, right? Where you're playing two out of three in the first round, three out of five. I mean, you would trust him out of the bullpen in the game unless the score's 14 to one at the time. Uh, as you referenced, uh, Hunter Brown uh, has talent. I mean, end of April, his ERA was 2.37 in the Verlander comparisons and, you know, run away with excitement and so forth. Uh, but it's an organizational failure on multiple levels that he basically stayed in the rotation the entire year, right? a 30-start guy. From May 1st on, Hunter Brown, and I'm presuming he's done starting him a game this weekend, unless it's because the Astros are eliminated or have clinched, would be stupid. Uh, ERA 5.79 from May 1st forward. And if you graph his performance quality as you go along, it's a ski slope, as in down the mountain uncontrollably until you wind up in a body cast because you crash into a tree or something. Right? July ERA, 594. August ERA, 623. September ERA, 9.14. And other than one turn for rest, right? he was never pulled from the rotation because they didn't feel like that had anybody better. Right? Jose Urquidy, until a, a nice hold the fort down uh, outing over the weekend that by and large been terrible since his return. That's why he disappeared from the rotation. They didn't feel like a Spencer Araghetti until he turned up hurt the, the last week uh, was a guy worth taking a shot on as an insertion in the rotation. And they have no other meaningful prospects uh, anywhere near the major leagues. Yes, they've had injury issues. Go look at the Tampa Bay Rays pitching injury issues. Seattle Mariners lost their number two starter for the season, his second start or the second day of the season, subsequently lost another starter for the season midseason. The Astros have had no monopoly on pitching injuries. And in losing Jose Arquiti of last year and last year's Luis Garcia, you know, it's not like they lost uh, Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit in their prime. They were losses to be sure. But J.P. France, until maybe hitting a wall himself recently, J.P. France pitched better than Garcia or Rakiti did last year. So was that a big net loss game? Hunter Brown has turned out to be a huge net minus. 
Uh, he's belonged in the minor leagues now by his performance for two months, but they had no one better to turn to or chose not to turn to. Yeah, all that. And then let's look at the top of the rotation, guys. Verlander, his ERA is about two full runs higher this year than it was last year. Remember, he was at 175 last year. And you look at Christian Javier, he was at 254 last year. His ERA is two full runs, even more than that, higher than it was. Fromber, he's around a run higher because he finished at 282 last year. He's in the threes this year. So your top guys are significantly worse. Urquidy's can't even really get you know much of a sniff because his ERA is over five. Hunter Browns is over five. It's just when you're pitching like that, and and even look at Ryan Presley. I mean, his ERA was in the high twos last year, and now is in the high threes. So your most important pitchers are all significantly worse this year. And I don't know if it's fatigue or people figuring stuff out. Who knows? The Astros clearly don't know, but. It's a problem. Even though the bats are starting to get going, you know, halfway through the season, they're middle of the pack. Now they're a really good top five-ish offense. It's The pitching is just not there. And we've seen the defense and the base running. Just, you know, just not good baseball. It's real apparent when you watch these guys every night what's working and what's not. Runs end. And so we perhaps are just in the last days. Right, of the, the Astros dynasty, uh, which certainly meets the definition of one. It does not mean that they can't gather and make one more run uh, with a good week. And then the postseason is largely a dice roll. You get hot and, hey, you make a lot of money all of a sudden in a short period of time. Um, but as recently as 2022, the Astros were a great team, a great team. 106 wins, quality in every area, hitting, starting pitching, Historically great bullpen, certainly in the postseason. Airtight defense. Only the Angels have given up more unearned runs in the American League this year than the Astros. So the defense has been leaky. And when your pitching is not nearly as good, you also don't have the starting pitching good enough to work around mistakes the way that better pitchers were able to. Um, I don't know specifically how many unearned runs Framber Valdez has given up this year. But if he still can be a little dodgy mentally, emotionally, and then there are plays that don't even count as errors, like when first and second on a bunt play, you foolishly throw to third when you have no chance to cut the lead runner down and said you have the bases loaded and nobody out. Um, they've just fallen off dramatically as a team this year. Now, the standards of the Astros, because of the routineness of their greatness and all their accomplishments uh, over the better part of a decade, uh, 2017 through last season, Right, that fall can be a doozy. They're not a bad team, right? But they're nowhere close to great. The hope is, can they summon an unbalanced great month of baseball last week of the regular season and three plus weeks of postseason? Because at this point, they're merely a pretty good team. Look at the roster. Former Astros pitching coach Brent Strom was thought to be pitching guru of sorts. And then there was much made about him leaving, but then Bill Murphy, Josh Miller step in, help guide the team to a world series victory in which they had a historic pitching run. Now we're seeing regressions from Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, although Christian Javier looked really nice in his last start. Look, we can point to Justin Verlander and say he's a year older, but Framber Valdez should be in the prime of his career. Christian Javier, we hoped would take a step getting more consistent starts. How much of this is on the talent and just the performance of the guys? And how much does this fall into the managerial responsibilities of your pitching coaches? You know, there is pretty good data 
that when workload jumps dramatically year to year, that there will be that day of reckoning or season of reckoning, reckoning some paying of the piper. And so maybe that is what happened with Javier. Shattered his professional workload high last year. Uh, was well on pace to do it this year. And, you know, if Javier had just been lousy from the get-go, he's okay, maybe he was over his head and the world figured out the invisible fastball and all that. But his ERA was 290 through 14 starts this season. I mean, it's as if the switch was shut off. And after that, he was a disaster for two months and there's been some stabilization to where at least he's been inconsistent recently, mixing in a good start with a bad start. Against the Orioles, you know, can only get through five innings because of pitch count, but 11 strikeouts and all the swings and misses. Um, I always struggle in apportioning blame to the to the pitching coaches where they just absolutely brilliant last year. Uh, that's why the credit foremost should always go to the players. And in the end, if you're collapsing like the, the Astros uh, have heading into the final week of the season, foremost blame goes on to the players. But coaches and managers can't get a pass. Otherwise, why are there coaches and managers? Yeah, a lot of this has to fall on the players, though, too. Just just watching these guys pitch. They're not commanding the fastball like you would hope. They're, they're wild in the strike zone, and they walk a lot of guys. There's just – how much can a pitching coach help you with, hey, throw this ball low outside at the knees, and then you throw it mid-mid, and it gets hit? Of course, the pitcher wants to put it there, but it's the execution. You can help them with mechanics and stuff like that, but at the end of the day – if you're not spotting your fastballs, you're not mixing in your breaking stuff, these are big league hitters. They're going to hit you all over the yard. So I just I don't see a lot of that. And when I see them struggling, the Christian Javier's of the world, they're getting too predictable. It's all all fastballs up. With Verlander, we see it when, when he commands his fastball, he's hard to hit. He's still got good stuff. He's just you can't throw fastballs over the heart of the plate and expect not to get hit around a little bit. That's just going to happen. So, you know, Fromber's got that luxury where that fastball runs so much that you got a ton of movement and it sinks. So if he misses his spot a little bit, it's not the end of the world. But with a lot of the other guys, they're they're pretty straight fastballs. And if you don't hit the corners, you're going to give up some runs. Yeah, it's just, it's just so hard to pinpoint, well, was there a mechanical adjustment they should have made? You know, foot placement on the mound is your stride a couple inches off in, in length. And they measure all this and, you know, it's their job to come up with the best possible solutions, lead that horse to water, and then he needs to drink. Uh, he needs to perform. Uh, with a manager, you can get more specific. I think it's intelligently irrefutable that Dusty's months-long botched job with the playing time, uh, Yiner Diaz, Maldonado primarily, but also some with uh, Abreu, it's a net loss two, three games. And when your margin of error has been eradicated because your team's just not all that great anymore, it's not great anymore. It's pretty good, but there are a bunch of pretty good teams. And if those other pretty good teams put you out of the playoffs or maybe you put yourself out of the playoffs with garbage play for three weeks down the stretch, you know, that game here, that game there that may add up over time can be real difference makers. And that'll be part of Dusty's reckoning if the Astros are watching baseball next Tuesday. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. All right, well, that's going to be it for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you next week, but you don't have to wait that long to get your Houston sports fix. All you have to do is just subscribe to Sports Map Houston on YouTube. John Granato, Lance Zerline, Josh will have you covered there. Remember, it's 97.5 and 92.5 FM on your radio dial. 
and go give us a sub on Sports Map Texans and our new podcast, Texans on Tap. Thanks to Jack Brain for producing the show. And thanks to everyone for listening. Until next time, Ghost Rose.